But when you add up the opportunities that stakeholders in North Carolina highlighted as important for us to analyze, we found that businesses and customers um, could save $5.9 billion over the lifetime of measures through 2040 net of costs. Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners. Welcome to the 35th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. So as you may have heard on our last episode, I'm helping to take the reins from our friend, former host, and now listener, Ben Stockdale. And for those that may not know me, my name is Matt Abel. I'm a fellow NCSEA staff member bringing my background in marketing and clean energy to help make sense of the ever-changing and often fairly complicated world of energy policy. So over the next few episodes, you may hear some small changes here and there, but big picture, we've got some exciting updates just on the horizon. I'm excited to help lead this journey with you for year two of this squeaky clean energy podcast. So before we get started, I wanted to share a few updates. Recently, NCSEA hosted the sixth installment of our Making Energy Work webinar series, where we partnered with Conservatives for Clean Energy to release the results of the 2020 North Carolina Energy Poll. If you're curious how voters on both sides of the aisle in North Carolina feel about dirty energy versus modern clean energy, this webinar is a must-listen. NCSEA members have access to the recording as a benefit of membership, but we'll be hosting a variety of other upcoming webinars available to members and non-members alike, starting with our next one on October 6th, we'll be talking investment capital and clean energy with Jigger Shaw of Generate Capital and the Energy Gang. To register, visit makingenergywork.com. I also wanted to make note of some recent breaking news here at NCSEA. On September 16th, NCSEA, along with our partners at the Southern Environmental Law Center, Sunrun, Vote Solar, Coastal Conservation League, Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, and Upstate Forever, reached an agreement with Duke Energy in South Carolina to offer a program called Solar Choice Net Metering to customers that install solar on their rooftops within the state. This new program could provide significant savings to homeowners through a new time-of-use rate structure and through participation in the utilities Smart Thermostat program. To find out more details about this latest news, you can check out energync.org blog. And for a deeper dive on the topic of net metering, you can go back and listen to our conversation with Anya Schoolman of Solar United Neighbors and Daniel Brookshire of NCSEA on episode 30 of the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast. In this episode, we're diving into an often overlooked aspect of clean energy, but an area that deserves much more of our attention given its overall dollar-for-dollar dollar impact. That's energy efficiency. We're sitting down today with a new friend of the pod who will be sharing the details of a recently released report outlining the importance of energy efficiency to the recovery of North Carolina's economy post-COVID. Clean energy. 
All right, welcome to the 35th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Our next guest today is the director of the utilities program for the American Council for an Energy Efficiency Economy, or ACEEE, a nonprofit catalyzing energy efficiency policies, programs, technologies, investments, and behaviors in the U.S. She was the lead author for ACEEE's recent North Carolina report and focuses on utility regulation and rate making, state energy efficiency policy, and energy efficiency programs. She's been with ACEEE since 2018. And before that, our guest worked in Rocky Mountain Institute's electricity practice and OPower's regulatory and market development team. Friends of the pod, let's welcome today Rachel Gold with ACEEE. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Fantastic. All right. Let's jump right into it. So, Rachel, to get started, can you tell us a little bit more about the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy, or ACEEE? Absolutely. ACEEE is a nonprofit organization. We're based in Washington, D.C., and we conduct research and analysis on energy efficiency. We've been working in energy efficiency at the national, state, local level for more than 40 years. Um, and a lot of what we do is collecting best practice information on topics around how to advance energy efficiency in the U.S. economy. Great. So more generally, why is energy efficiency an important component of clean energy and how do they relate to one another? Awesome. Well, energy efficiency is one form of clean energy amongst many. Um, in fact, it's probably the cleanest energy because it's the energy that you never use. And most of the time, it's also the cheapest energy because the cheapest energy is often the energy that you never use. So energy efficiency on its own directly reduces carbon emissions, right? Over the last four decades, we've made things more efficient in a big way in our economy, we've actually averted 60% increase in energy use and carbon emissions from our growing population and economy, just from energy efficiency. Um, but going forward, there's bigger energy efficiency potential ahead. And we see energy efficiency as working really well with other clean energy solutions. So some energy efficiency measures complement renewable energy, complement wind, storage, solar, um, helping to generate savings when they're most needed for the grid and, um, and less so when they aren't. So helping to support demand flexibility. Um, and secondly, you know, because the grid is getting cleaner over time, it's starting to make sense to electrify more and more end uses, to move things from fossil fuels to the electric sector. Um, and many electrification measures um, are actually energy efficiency measures on a total primary energy basis. They actually reduce energy use. Um, and energy efficiency also just helps to smooth out um, some of the spikier peaks in demand that we might anticipate as we get more electricity on the grid from electrification. So energy efficiency on its own offers value, and it's kind of a part of the, the mix or the brew of renewable energy and electrification as well. Great. So, all right, what's the deal? So why is a national organization like ACEEE interested in North Carolina? Well, why wouldn't we be interested in North Carolina? First of all, it's a great state. Um, second of all, North Carolina has really been a leader on energy efficiency in the Southeast for a while. Um, but in recent years, in the last year or two, we've really seen renewed interest in energy efficiency coming from a few different places. Um, last year in 2019, 
the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality went through this big stakeholder process to craft a holistic vision for the state's clean energy future um, that was part of Governor Cooper's Executive Order 80. Um, and that came out with this clean energy plan, which calls for greenhouse gas reductions, but also calls for long-term affordability and price stability for customers and creating economic opportunities in both rural and urban areas of the state. So it's a really important kind of guiding document for the clean energy economy in North Carolina. And a big piece of that was energy efficiency. So in parallel, um, the Nicholas Institute at Duke put together their own stakeholder process to come up with an energy efficiency roadmap for the state. That had over 30 recommendations, pretty extensive, um, and a lot of those ended up in the clean energy plan. So North Carolina's kind of done the planning work. It's done the stakeholder work to say, here are all the opportunities for energy efficiency. They're, these are the things that we have missing. We've made important strides, but we still have more to do. Um, and we wanted to come in and, uh, and sort of help to quantify of those opportunities you know, what's the value of them? Which ones offer more savings? Which ones offer more greenhouse gas reductions? What are the costs and benefits? Um, we're helping North Carolina stakeholders to take the great ideas that they have and make them a little more tangible. Fantastic. That's awesome. So uh, so you and your team, uh, as part of this, this energy efficiency roadmap, recently published a report focused on the economic benefits of energy efficiency to North Carolina while outlining some paths to help us realize these benefits. Can you tell us a little bit more about the report and how it came about? Yeah. So as I said, after the Clean Energy Plan, some stakeholders in North Carolina asked us if we could help with quantifying the energy efficiency savings, the greenhouse gas reductions um, of some of the highest priority policy and program recommendations. We couldn't do all 30. Some of them were more process oriented. Um, and so we, we worked with them to pick what are the highest priority policies that you'd really like to see quantified. Um, and instead of doing sort of a bottom-up measure-by-measure potential study, which is actually already happening um, and actually just got published by Duke for their service territories, we decided to take a top-down approach and look at big policies, big programs, and see if we were to enact these policies, if we were to expand these programs or create these programs, what would the benefits be? We looked specifically at electricity use in buildings and industry. Of course, it's important to note that transportation's got a lot of potential as well. There's still a lot of potential from switching from fossil fuel uses or saving fossil fuels in building. But we zeroed in on electricity, <clears throat> energy efficiency, because we felt like there were a lot of the recommendations really focused on that area. And we wanted to, to jump right in there. Um, so yeah, that, that's how we got into it. Great. So before we dive into the solutions that were outlined in, in this report and part of the energy efficiency roadmap, uh, let's take a step back and level set. So where does North Carolina currently compare to other states in terms of energy efficiency? Yeah, so a lot of the work that ACCEE does is focused around benchmarking. We do a number of scorecards of states, of cities, of utilities, and our state scorecard um, takes a look at energy efficiency, performance, and policies at the state level. Um, and across metrics that range from utilities to buildings to transportation, stuff that state government can do, we find that North Carolina is right in the middle of the pack, number 26 out of 51. Um, and, you know, that's, that's across lots of different sectors. Um, when we look and zero in specifically on electricity, 
we find that um, North Carolina had average statewide electricity sales of about 0.67% of retail sales in 2018. And that's pretty good, but it's less than the nationwide average of 0.73%. So North Carolina is doing okay and certainly making some important strides, but is, is a little bit lower than the nationwide average. And it, it is a regional leader. It had the highest score um, in the Southeast among states. Um, but we do see there's, there's more opportunity there. Um, in North Carolina, we haven't really seen a lot of legislation that has been successfully enacted around energy efficiency in the past 10 years. Um, but we have really seen, you know, bipartisan defense of energy efficiency in the legislature. And we've seen clean energy bills introduced by sponsors on both sides of the aisle. So we really feel like there's a lot of potential right now in the state, both in terms of energy efficiency potential and, um, and political will to move energy efficiency forward. Okay, so we just talked about where North Carolina ranks in terms of other states in the U.S. for energy efficiency. So what are some of the tools at our disposal to move further up the rankings? Yeah, so in the report, we looked at more than a dozen policies that would really help. Um, but I'll tell you about three that have some of the biggest impact. The first is establishing a target for utilities. In the case of investor-owned utilities, that's an energy efficiency resource standard, which is a savings-based mandate. We also think it's important to have targets for munis and co-ops. That could be savings <clears throat> or spending-based, but having some sort of target to work towards is really important. The second category is in building codes. So the new buildings that we make now are gonna last for 50 years or 75 years or 100 years. So it's really important that we get them as efficient as possible, as low carbon as possible now, um, in order to avoid having to retrofit them later, which can be really expensive. So we think it's really important to continue to update residential and commercial building codes, um, both to close some of the loopholes that currently exist in North Carolina, as well as to update over time to the latest, um, the latest national standards. And then the third category is financing. There's a number of different financing opportunities for North Carolina. One of those is a clean energy investment fund or a clean energy fund, sometimes called a green bank. There's also on-bill financing, pay as you save. There's a number of opportunities that are outlined in our report and in the EE roadmap, but leveraging private capital in addition to ratepayer and public funding is critical to grow energy efficiency. I always love to hear about the pay as you save programs or on bill financing. NCSEA has actually been working uh, for some time with a number of different utilities throughout the Southeast. One that I'll specifically mention here is Roanoke Electric Cooperative's uh, Upgrade to Save program, which has just been uh, such a shining example of how energy efficiency can work for all consumers across the state. So uh, really excited to hear more about that. Yeah, um, it's a great um, example of how, you know, Sometimes you can get things done at the legislature, and sometimes that's difficult to do. Sometimes you then pivot to things that an individual utility is really motivated around helping their customers can do, like, for example, Roanoke. Let's talk about Executive Order 80 and the Clean Energy Plan, which we've mentioned a couple of times already here in North Carolina. So as you know, and as probably a lot of our listeners know, Governor Cooper, as part of EO80, established a goal to reduce energy consumption in state-owned buildings by at least 40% from 2002 to 2003 levels uh, by 2025. So how are we doing so far in meeting those goals? And what needs to happen to make sure we reach those goals? Yeah. 
So North Carolina has made really impressive progress. Um, so there have been energy savings targets for public buildings um, in place in different ways through a sort of a series of different policy actions um, that since 2003 have saved North Carolina taxpayers more than $1.4 billion. So that's that's a big chunk of change, um, and that's a lot of savings for taxpayers, um, but there's still room for improvement. Um, so North Carolina's state energy office administers what's called the Utility Savings Initiative. Um, and this is a program to really coordinate and support energy management across the state's publicly owned buildings. So making sure that the buildings that taxpayers pay for are operated in an efficient way. So we're not paying more than we need to for those buildings. Um, and we're particularly seeing progress around those agencies that are a part of Executive Order 80, so those cabinet agencies. Um, part of why HB 330 is really important is because it further institutionalizes those goals and it would um, extend the, the sort of purview to non-cabinet agencies and to the UNCs. Great. And I'm going to jump around here a little bit to, to piggyback on what you were just talking about there. So moving to the North Carolina General Assembly, in, in 2019, uh, House champion Representative John Zoka was the lead sponsor of a bill called Efficient Government Buildings and Savings Act, or better known as HB 330. This bill was designed to help us meet some of those goals established in the Clean Energy Plan for energy efficiency. Unfortunately, Senate Republican leadership did not schedule 330 for a committee meeting or further action before adjourning this summer, despite overwhelming bipartisan support, which you kind of outlined earlier. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what was in this bill and what it would do for energy efficiency in our state? Yeah, HB 330 is a really important bill. It would take some of the targets that are a part of EO80 and institutionalize them into legislation. So it would strengthen some of the energy and water saving targets for state agencies and institutions, and it would extend those to non-cabinet agencies and to the UNCs. Um, so that, that's really important, sort of strengthening those targets, expanding who those targets apply to. Um, in addition, it would um, require all really large buildings that are old, you know, 10 years or older, to evaluate their potential for energy performance contracts, which is, you know, a, a budget neutral way for facilities to pay for today's upgrades with tomorrow's energy savings. It's a really great tool. It doesn't, you know, tap into capital budgets. It helps to move energy efficiency forward in a way that's a little bit easier from a financing perspective. And this would create, you know, a mechanism or an impetus for all those big, bigger, older buildings to, to take a look at that. Um, so yeah, we, we think this is an important opportunity um, and something that, that we're really hoping that um, will be a priority in the 2021 legislative session. Awesome. All right. So we've spent a lot of time talking about government buildings and their importance to energy efficiency goals in North Carolina. But what is the role of utilities like Duke, Dominion, and the electric cooperatives here in the state in the energy efficiency space as well? Yeah, so utilities are really important. Uh, utilities are how customers get their energy. And so that relationship creates an opportunity um, to deliver energy efficiency services. And North Carolina utilities have, to date, been one of the primary drivers of energy efficiency in the state. Um, their programs are funded by customers or largely funded by customers through utility rates. And what they do is they encourage customers to reduce their energy waste through efficient technologies and practices. So that could be 
through a financial incentive, which is how most people think of programs. It could be through um, access to an online marketplace of, um, of devices that are more efficient. It could be training for new construction. Um, there's a lot of you know flavors of energy efficiency programs, and it's important that those are targeted at the market barriers to energy efficiency. Um, and the reason why utilities are kind of central to this is that energy efficiency is not just something for customers, it's also a system resource. So when you think about all the stuff utilities have to build in order to deliver services to customers, um, one of the options that they have is to not build at all and to think of energy efficiency as a resource because it tends to be cheaper than building new generation resources. And in fact, if it's approved by the NCUC, it will be cheaper than building those new resources. It has to be cost effective. Um, energy efficiency is a way to avoid building stuff that North Carolina businesses and residents don't need. So it's actually really important as a part of how we think about planning in addition to on its own merits. I'll also note that um, you know Duke is the biggest player from the utility perspective in North Carolina. Um, and they've, they've really done a, a great job on energy efficiency in a lot of ways. They're, they're kind of right in the middle of the pack for our utility scorecard. Definitely have room to improve, but have delivered energy efficiency savings and, and have grown those over the past decade in an impressive way. The other utilities, though, also have room for improvement. Um, Dominion serves customers in North Carolina. And um, you know, Dominion is going to be ramping up their programs in Virginia. They just passed the Virginia Clean Economy Act. Um, so we're really hopeful that they'll be running those programs for North Carolina customers as well. And similarly, you know, rural co-ops and municipal utilities, they, they cover about a quarter of North Carolina's sales. And so there's a real important opportunity for them to provide programs to their customers as well. Some of them are smaller utilities, so it can be harder for them to stand up programs. And so it's really important to make sure that there are statewide and multi-utility providers who provide technical assistance to those folks. Some of those exist in North Carolina, but I think we could do more to support them. In thinking about the utilities and their role in energy efficiency, Duke Energy Progress and Duke Energy Carolinas recently released their 2020 integrated resource plans, outlining the path for the future of each utility under six proposed scenarios. So can you talk about the role of energy efficiency in Duke's recent IRPs and how that has played into some of their previous IRPs filed by those utilities? Absolutely. So um, Duke is one of the utilities that takes energy efficiency and uh, demand side management, things like demand response, into account in their integrated resource plan. And um, the way that they do that is by taking their current program offerings and their forecast of what those will deliver, and they blend those with a market potential study that goes bottom up from all of the measures and end uses across their service territory and says, What's the potential? What is it that we could offer customers? Um, and some of the scenarios that they have include more or less demand response, but it appears that they're all using this market potential study as a tool to help project what goes into the IRP. Um, and that market potential study um, has a couple of limitations that limit its potential. Um, one of those is that they use a total resource cost test. This is the current cost test in the state of North Carolina, but it's a bit of an unbalanced cost test. It includes all of the costs associated with participants, um, but doesn't include all of the benefits. And so it ends up 
disadvantaging a lot of energy efficiency that might actually be great for the system as a whole, but might not make sense when you're looking at it in an unbalanced way. That modeling also uses their past program performance so it is to sort of train their model. Um, and that then limits some of the potential to the current ways that they deliver programs and acquire customers, many of which are quite impressive and successful, but it might miss some of the tools of financing, enhanced marketing, really leveraging AMI data that Duke might not be fully exploiting right now. So there's additional potential that's not in their potential study, um, partially because of regulatory barriers and partially because of the nature of the model that's used. And so we think that there's additional potential that we should consider as a part of integrated resource planning. Great. And so uh, continuing down that, that that line of thinking about the utilities themselves. So one mechanism in, in North Carolina uh, that really has moved the ball forward on clean energy and energy efficiency has been the Renewable Energy and Energy Efficiency Portfolio Standard as part of Senate Bill 3 back in 2007, uh, which charted the path forward for North Carolina's leadership in, in solar predominantly, but also enabled us to be a leader in energy efficiency within the region, as you alluded to earlier. Uh, so in these these what are otherwise called reps, uh, it's mandated that regulated utilities produce 12.5% of all their electricity through renewable sources and energy efficiency by 2021, with 25% of that requirement being allowed through energy efficiency. So uh, how are we doing uh, in terms of meeting the requirements of reps through energy efficiency with the utilities? Yeah, so... REPS is a, a good policy that in many ways has kick-started a lot of energy efficiency in North Carolina. Um, but it's important to note that REPS has a ceiling on how much energy efficiency can contribute, right? It's up to 25% before 2020, and then, and then it does expand to up to 40% after that. Um, but it's not a floor. It's, it's you, can, you can contribute up to this amount. Um, and so... Uh, Lots of utilities are, in fact, using this to their full extent and, and doing as much energy efficiency as is possible under reps. Partially, that's because energy efficiency is a really cost-effective resource, so it's it makes sense to invest in energy efficiency um, and because it makes sense for their customers to invest in energy efficiency. So we do see a number of the utilities in the state, including Duke, maxing out on the um their, their potential for energy efficiency as a part of the reps, but it's a ceiling, right? And so we probably don't want to create policy ceilings. We want to create policy floors for the, for the clean energy technologies that we want to see. And in fact, it's, it's kind of interesting. North Carolina is the only remaining state in the union with a combined RPS and EERS. Other states have separated them out. A number of states actually used to have combined ones and said, you know what, we're, there's more efficiency that we could get if we separated them. There's more renewables we could get if we separated them. Um, so, so a standalone EERS offers a lot of value, and we see it as one of the um, one of the top policies to drive energy efficiency. Great. All right. So I, I did want to circle back and talk a little bit more about the details of the report that ACEEE recently released and uh, that you are one of the leading authors on. So uh, a big emphasis of that report is energy efficiency as a tool for job growth. So NCSEA recently released in collaboration with E2, the North Carolina Clean Jobs Report. Uh, in, in case you didn't listen to the last episode, you can tune into that where we interviewed uh, Bob Keefe and Ivan Earl 
Erlob specifically talking about clean jobs numbers in North Carolina. Um, so in that specific report, there was, uh, we outlined a total of 113,000 jobs in clean energy in North Carolina at the end of 2019, with just over 88,000 of those jobs being directly attributed to energy efficiency. Uh, granted, we've seen a decline in those total numbers of, of, of jobs due to COVID. So how do we leverage energy efficiency to see a return to that large number we saw at the end of 2019, but continue to grow even beyond that? Yeah, it's a really important question. I'm glad you asked it. That study showed that something like 18% of clean energy jobs were lost at some point during the, the spring, during the, the beginning of the COVID crisis. Um, and, and many of the lost jobs were in energy efficiency. Um, and it's great news that in many ways we've rebounded and there are a lot of jobs that have come back. Um, but there are still some folks who are out of work in this industry. Um, so it's important to think about how we can um, get those jobs back and grow beyond them. So where we can do safely, and I think this is already happening, folks are starting to return to work in person. And where we can't, uh, our report outlines some of the innovations that we've seen around the country um, for utilities, for program administrators that are thinking creatively about how to deliver energy efficiency even when you can't necessarily get into a particular building or home. So using things like virtual audits, online marketplaces, building pipelines of customers um, so that when things do open back up, you have a pipeline ready to go. I think there's a lot of options to be creative about how we use this time well. Um, for example, up in um, Vermont, we're seeing um, uh, VEIC, the Vermont Energy Investment Corporation, um, through Efficiency Vermont, their efficiency utility, deliver a program that's specifically targeted at schools. Um, many schools were either empty or, or less full than they were before. And so it's a really good opportunity to get into those buildings and deliver um, energy efficiency retrofits. So when, when students get back in, those buildings will be using less energy and they'll, they'll be less costly for districts that are already hurting. So in the near term, there's some opportunity to bring back those jobs. And in the long term, we see energy efficiency as a tool for stimulus. Back in 2009, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act really had energy efficiency as, a, as one of its big pieces. Um, and we think it can be a critical part of our response to this economic crisis again. Uh, so in continuing to look at the report that uh, ACEEE recently published uh, about North Carolina, can you talk about the importance of underserved or vulnerable populations and conversations around energy efficiency here in the state? Yeah, absolutely. Um, North Carolina, unfortunately, like much of the country, faces the prospect of a continued recession. Um, and uh, many residents in North Carolina in particular are struggling to pay energy bills. Um, according to regulators in the state, um, 1.3 million electric, gas, or water utility accounts are behind on their payments, um, which puts folks at risk of having their service disconnected. Um, so the problem is acute. The problem is really big. And so energy efficiency is not the only solution, but it's part of the solution. Um, our report recommends expanding efforts for communities that are traditionally underserved, including rural communities, low-income communities, families that are renters, um, as well as agricultural and small businesses. 
There's a few specific ways you can do that. You can increase funding for weatherization work. We're hopeful that if there is a federal stimulus, it would include some additional funds for weatherization. Um, you can target energy efficiency at those accounts that are at risk of disconnection. The same utilities who run energy efficiency programs know which accounts are at risk of disconnection. Let's combine the two and offer those resources to the folks, especially no and low cost programs, to the folks who need them the most right now. Um, and then from a policy perspective, uh, we could set a separate energy efficiency resource target uh, or standard that has uh, low income customers at the center of it. There are 21 states that have a minimum spending requirement for low income customers as a part of their energy efficiency target. That's something North Carolina should absolutely consider. Great. And so one tool that we've seen emerge in other states to further enable access to clean energy and energy efficiency for low and moderate income communities are green banks. So can you tell us a little bit more about what a green bank is and how something like that could be applicable to North Carolina? Yeah, absolutely. So a, a green bank is one of the many tools that are important to to not just leverage public dollars, but leverage private dollars. Um, and, and in addition to the public and those ratepayer dollars. So um, green banks, which are often called clean energy funds, have a few shared features. There, there are a bunch of different ones across the country, um, and they're different in, in, some many, in some ways, but they're generally publicly chartered financing institutions. They're often a nonprofit, sometimes a public entity. Um, they they're mission-oriented, so they're, they're oriented around energy efficiency or clean energy deployment. They leverage public funds to attract private, private capital, and um, they offer products that focus on bridging market gaps. In this case, for example, they might focus on low and moderate income communities. They might focus on agricultural uh, customers. And what they do is some of the things that attract private capital. They issue loans. They provide credit enhancements. They offer technical assistance around financing. And then sometimes they directly invest in projects. Um, green banks is kind of a misnomer. They're not actually banks and that they don't actually hold deposits. Um, but what they do is they, you know, they attract and they deploy private capital to finance clean energy. Yeah. So, so on that same topic of green banks, uh, tell us a little bit more about what you found in terms of their savings and, and just overall benefits. Absolutely. So across the country, clean energy funds have grown pretty significantly in recent years. They've generated more than $5 billion in investment since 2011, and $1.5 billion of that was in 2019 alone. So for this report, we reviewed other states' clean energy funds relative to population and assumed that North Carolina's clean energy fund would have an initial capitalization of $50 million and then another $75 million of funds in 2030. Um, and, and we estimated that probably three quarters of those funds might go to energy efficiency. Other, other pieces might go to other types of clean energy. With those assumptions, we estimated that a clean energy fund of this size could achieve electricity savings of 520 gigawatt hours in 2040. So pretty significant. Um, we modeled that as an enabling mechanism for a lot of the other policies that we, that we modeled, things like affordable housing. Um, and energy efficiency for multifamily buildings, things like uh, agricultural programs, um, and really see a clean energy fund as an important enabling tool to get a lot of a lot of different things done. Is there any aspect of the report that that y'all recently released that we have not covered that you would like to talk about? Sure. Um, so. Uh, 
just high level, there's big opportunity. So I didn't, you know, characterize what the total savings might be. But when you add up the opportunities that stakeholders in North Carolina highlighted as important for us to analyze, we found that these these efforts could contribute at least 11% of the needed reductions to achieve the state's electric power sector goal in 2030. Um, that businesses and customers um, could save $5.9 billion over the lifetime of measures through 2040 net of costs, um, and that uh, it could produce you know, $2.30 for every dollar invested for residents and businesses across North Carolina. And that's all before all of the pollution benefits, um, which are significant. Um, we're looking at something like 300 million or more in avoided health harms, um, you know, from avoided deaths, avoided hospital admissions, those types of things. So there's really a lot of benefit from energy efficiency when you add it all up. And by taking an approach to policies and programs, things like an energy efficiency resource standard, enhanced building codes, focusing on low and moderate income communities, financing, you can get to really impressive savings for North Carolina businesses and households. For those listening, ACEEE just recently published their report titled How Energy Efficiency Can Help Rebuild North Carolina's Economy, Analysis of Energy Cost and Greenhouse Gas Impacts. So, Rachel, if folks are interested in reading that report, where can they find more information? So they can check out our website, which is www.acee.org. It's A-C-E-E-E. And it'll be on there. We'll also have it, I believe, in the show notes. Um, in addition, we did a webinar yesterday with a number of North Carolina stakeholders, folks from um, Department of Environmental Quality, City of Asheville, um, Nicholas Institute at Duke. So if if you want to hear from people who live in North Carolina beyond Matt um, and not me, you can check out that webinar. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us today on the 35th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. We really enjoyed the conversation and the friends of the pod sure enjoyed having you here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and happy 35 episodes. Are you still there? Well, for sticking around to the end of the episode, I'm going to treat you with a new section I call since you're a captive audience, you have to listen to my jokes. All right, here it goes. So earlier this week, I had to create a report on how wind energy is produced. And to be honest with you, it was a breeze. If you like that joke, I've got plenty more of them. So stay tuned for many more episodes of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. So my key takeaway for today's episode is energy efficiency targets and goals have been incredibly successful to date in North Carolina, as Rachel had mentioned. We've seen over $1.4 billion in savings from energy efficiency targets already in place. Given that success, we still have lots of opportunities in front of us, with the potential for an additional $5.9 billion in savings through additional policy, finance, and building measures. While there's historically been bipartisan support for energy efficiency in the North Carolina General Assembly, very little movement has happened over the past few years to accelerate energy efficiency goals and savings in our state. However, we have the opportunity to change that through legislation like HB 330. Stay tuned to future episodes of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast 
where I'm sure we'll have lots more to digest on the energy efficiency front. What did you think of today's episode? Are you as excited about energy efficiency as I am now? Reach out to me on Twitter to share your thoughts and even suggestions or ideas for future episodes. You can follow me at Matt Abel, that's M-A-T-T-A-B-E-L-E. And that's it for the 35th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Before you leave, I've got a request for you. Rate, subscribe, and share the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.